Well, welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast. Uh, I apologise in advance to listeners if my voice sounds a little bit croaky, but the hay fever season is in um, full swing here in the UK, and I've been suffering a little bit. Um, And today um, we're quite excited because we're actually able to get um, Paul Folks Davis on the podcast to talk a little bit about the Japanese small cap space. He's the chair of the Nippon Active Value Investment Trust, and also he's with Rising Sun Management, who are the advisor to that investment trust. But it's a very, to me, very interesting and very different approach to the Japanese equity market. Um, When I first started out as a journalist, um, most of the the Japanese equity funds were very much long-only, large-cap plays. But um, Paul's going to be telling us a little bit more about their approach today. So um, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. Now, just just quickly, can, for those who are not familiar with it, can you give us um, a, a summary of Nippon Active Value and, 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 and indeed Rising Sun itself? Yes, of course. Let me correct one thing. I'm not the chairman of Nippon Active Value Fund. Uh, that has an independent uh, board uh, entirely based in London. I am the chairman of Rising Sun Management Limited, which is the advisor to Nippon Active Value Fund, and if you like, uh, makes the uh, investment decisions, which are then uh, approved by uh, the board of the fund. The fund being, as you rightly say, a London-listed investment trust, uh, and Nippon Active Value Fund um, uh, being an activist fund in the small Japanese space. And let me tell you how we decided to uh, begin it back in February 2020, just before uh, the pandemic. Um, And this will require a little bit of a history um, lesson, uh, and it relates to a man called Jamie Rosenwald. Uh, Jamie's my partner um, uh, in this venture. He's been investing in Japan for over 30 years um, and got the bug from his grandfather, who was the first ever employee of Nikko Securities in the 1960s. And... um, Jamie decided to set up uh, an investment business called Dalton Investments in the States, in California, about 30 years ago, with another partner called Gifford Combs, who's still with us and still involved. Their idea was to invest in owner-operated or entrepreneur-operated businesses, uh, where there was a a confluence of interest between the management and the investors, because uh, everyone was an owner. Um, and that they could therefore uh, have a friendly dialogue with managements and um, over time uh, the, the uh, stocks would grow uh, and everybody would uh, have a, um, an aligned and felicitous time. Over the years, he's noticed, however, that the number of owner-operated business or entrepreneur-operated business in Japan is about 15% of the total. Japan is, is a market which has an extraordinary number of listed companies, both large, medium and small cap, and the vast majority of these are run by uh, what is these days known as salarymen, people who are employed uh, to uh, manage a company. They normally don't have an interest uh, in the business, or if they do, it's a very small stake. Uh, They tend to run the business in a conservative manner, uh, remembering the trouble that um, a lot of small businesses had when the bubble burst in the late 1980s for Japanese companies and they couldn't borrow money, they now pile cash on the balance sheet to the point where 
uh, it doesn't bear any reality to what they could possibly need to run the business, and they don't know how to allocate that capital. So Jamie's for, for a long time wanted to set up a business that would go after these sorts of companies, um, initially on a friendly uh, basis, but um, showing more aggression over time if management continues to um, display a reluctance to change. Uh, and change is um, a word that is uh, quite interesting in Japan. And I know uh, it, it's, it's probably a question you're going to ask me about a bit later. But we, we set this business up uh, to give us a source of permanent capital because these, these instruments are often quite volatile and quite illiquid. So we wanted to have uh, security that we would have money available. We launched the, the company in February 2020 with £103 million. Pounds. We always felt that that was a bit less than we should have liked and it rather forced us towards the um, smaller end of the small end uh, market. So we also created a couple of uh, special purpose vehicles for US investors who, for whatever reason, couldn't invest in the UK investment trust, and many of them can't buy a sterling instrument, um, to bolster the, the funds available. Uh, and most recently, um, things are changing with regard to the relationship with Nippon Active Value Fund and Dalton Investments itself, but I can come on to that. Now, I mean, obviously, you mentioned the timing of the launch. You obviously weren't to know at the time that we were about to hit a major, you know, once in a century global pandemic. Um, Japan itself, obviously, locked down like a lot, lot of other countries, and and the Olympics got delayed as well. Um, I've spoken to other Japan equity managers who are based outside Japan who had a lot of difficulty. Um, well, they found, in fact, impossible to to actually get into the country. Um, how, what's your impression of, um, Japan, um, you know, the economy as it emerges from the pandemic? And, and secondly, I know you've actually managed to get there, uh, last month. What, what's been your impression, um, having, having had the opportunity to actually get into the country and, and meet, meet companies? Yeah, well, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, they did lock it down, um, and we uh, were unable to get in for the, about the first two and a half years. But luckily for us, um, the structure is that um, the president of Rising Sun Management is, in fact, a, a Japanese M&A lawyer, uh, Kazutaka Mitsuwachi, uh, and we have an office um, via Dalton that's been in Japan for 12 years. So we have quite a lot of feet on the ground and have been able to um, pursue our uh, strategy uh, unhindered, if you like, by the fact that, that um, Jamie Gifford and I were struggling um, to get there. Um, and as you, as you point out, we did manage to get there last month, and boy, what a palaver that was. Uh, you have to go to the consulate to get a visa. You have to have a PCR test 72 hours before you leave. It has to be uploaded on a very arcane uh, Japanese uh, um, tracker. Uh, when you arrive, there are 11 different stations you have to go to in the airport. It takes over three hours, including an, a new antigen test, which you have to wait for the results for. So you'd have to say that they weren't making it easy. But but when we got in there, it was it was actually very interesting. Um, my impressions were that, that Japan is is uh, as busy as ever. Um, that, you know, the streets were bustling. The, the, we, we took the bullet train to 
uh, to Kobe and Osaka to see uh, some of our client companies. Um, everything is is running with its usual efficiency. Uh, you know how how stiflingly formal the, the Japanese can be, so that's still there, and it's one of the things you have to try and overcome. But it was actually very, very helpful and, and rather nice to be able to meet people we've been talking to on Zoom for two and a half years um, in person. Uh, and I think they are now starting to further relax the um, uh, lockdown provisions, although I think largely for large groups at the moment. So businessmen will still have to, to go through quite a lot of hoops in order to, to visit. In terms of how the company, or the, sorry, the country is recovering from uh, the pandemic, um, well, this is a function of so many small companies. Some have done okay during the, um, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, a lot of our companies have sort of marked time, but, but actually uh, no one has suffered horribly. Some have actually uh, benefited very positively, uh, particularly companies in uh, ESG and other, uh, other spaces which um, uh, have become you know, more important um, because of, uh, of the pandemic. Uh, the, the nature of our client base or the nature of our, our portfolio base is that we tend to invest in smaller um, widget-making type companies, companies that might make canned pumps or uh, pipes or valves or rubber belts. Um, these are companies that perhaps in the UK and certainly in the US might not exist at all. They would probably have already been consolidated into the supply chains of the larger uh, companies that, that they serve. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we thought they would be an interesting investment because there are lots of things that we can suggest to companies like this. And all of our, our companies have done well. No, no one has, has uh, suffered. Over the period that we've been investing, we, we've made some discoveries about one or two companies being just a little bit too liquid. Uh, so we've divested from those. But on the whole, we started with 20 names and we've still got, I think, 17 of those. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was very, very good to be able to meet management and finally put our, our points across in person. And uh, can you talk to, talk a little bit more about the small cap space in Japan? I mean, a lot of a lot of our listeners will obviously be outside Japan and will be more familiar with, say, the the UK or the US small cap space. Um, you've mentioned that the the management at a lot of these companies are not actually themselves heavily invested in the business. Are there any other any other characteristics that you that you tend to find when you're when you're doing your research on that on that particular part of the market? Yeah, well, there's one characteristic they all have in common, which is whenever you say something to them, uh, which would involve them doing something different, the initial uh, reaction is no. Um, but then then you start to have a discussion. Um, so, as I said, the, the, a lot of our companies are are, are smaller companies. If you um, look at the kind of relative value of uh, stock markets in the developed world, um, and we always uh, follow what GMOs say, the, the, the big GMO, the, the big uh, Boston um, fund management group, they put out a comparative research every month on what they think the, the best or the cheapest markets are. Consistently since we've started, um, Japan's smaller companies has been they think the, the cheapest area of, of any market. 
So we think we're fishing in the right pond. Um, what we try and do with, with managements that have uh, a reasonable business, but no real interest in um, growing it very quickly or using what can be uh, a half or even uh, 100% of their equity value stashed on the balance sheet in the form of either cash or cross shareholdings in companies that um, they do not need to hold and derive no benefit from holding. Uh, or even strategic investments, again, for no apparent reason. So, so cash is one of the things that, that is in our sights. Um, the other is uh, an, a willingness to, to hear us. So uh, what we've done in the past is call managements. They will always um, take a call. They'll all, they're, you know, I'm failingly polite. Uh, we've had many conversations which we thought very, went very well, and then the company does practically nothing on, on what we've suggested. On the other hand, in two or three occasions last year, and I've spoken about these in the various um, quarterly updates that uh, you can find on the Nippon Active Value Funds website, uh, companies have actually followed or, or done some or, or all of, of the things we were suggesting. In, in one case, Sakai Ovex, uh, the company took itself private. Uh, in another, Ibarajasugio, uh, they've raised their dividend four times in a, in a very few, uh, short period and the stock price tripled. Um, you don't always have those sorts of successes, but um, at the end of 2021, the fund was up uh, over 50%. Um, and that was probably, um, I think, the better, according to our brokers, short capital, that was the best performance of any Japanese fund in the UK. Um, we've suffered a little bit since then, um, not only because the markets are softer, but actually the real uh, problem for us is that we are uh, a fund that is uh, denominated in sterling with yen underlying uh, investments and a mandate not to hedge. So that has cost us 17 or 18 percent this year. Um, at some point, it will start to reverse. But you asked a question about how is Japan? I'd say the Japanese economy is on pretty good footing because it is the second industrial economy on the planet, probably, uh, and still one of the great uh, car makers and car exporters. And of course, it is benefiting greatly from Kuroda-san, the, the central bank's governor's policy of allowing the yen to stay weak. And I think it's a testament to how much the Americans think that they need such an important ally in Southeast Asia that they're not screaming and shouting about the uh, ongoing weakness of the yen, because were it anybody but Japan, they would be. So Japan's getting away with murder at the moment in terms of devaluing its currency, uh, and that is actually um, pretty helpful to most of our portfolio companies, pretty unhelpful to investors who are paying sterling for a yen asset. Would you say, I mean, talking to that point, would you say that many of the portfolio companies you look at are less export oriented and more domestic focused because that's often the case with, with small caps? I, I said that was probably fair, except that the nature of Japanese uh, business is that most smaller companies are selling their product to only one or two um larger companies. So let's take the example of a company we've had quite a bit of success with this year, a company called Mitsuboshi Belting. They make 
uh, belts for combustion engines, uh, for industrial purposes generally, um, even for carousels and things like that in, in airports. But the, their most important customer is Toyota, and Toyota is clearly exporting uh, a large uh, number of cars every year. So uh, it's the kind of company which um, produces an extremely high quality product, um, uh, is much smaller than uh, it might be, has other competitors like Nita who look very much like it, and would have been consolidated um, into the supply chain anywhere but Japan. Um, the reason that I mention them is that uh, uh, only with uh, the slightest of proddings, we wrote them a letter this year for their AGM, suggesting uh, two principal things that they might do, which is award themselves uh, large-ish amounts of restricted stock, which is the recommendation of the um, uh, financial authorities as part of the corporate governance reforms, and I'll talk a bit about those in a moment. Um, so, so that the management and uh, even the rank and file begin to have an interest, a financial interest in the company. Uh, and also that they should uh, engineer a 10% buyback of the outstanding equity over the course of the next year. Now, uh, they, when we spoke to them about our letter, they said, look, if we do some of these things, uh, are you willing to withdraw your proposals? Uh, and we said, well, we can certainly talk about it. What do you have in mind? And they said, well, um, we will in initiate a restricted stock program, which they've done. Uh, we will initiate a buyback, which they've also done, albeit uh, for less than 10% and over three years, not one. And we will pay out 100% of earnings for the next two years in the form of dividends, because we accept that we have more cash on the balance sheet than we need. Now, that's the first company that's ever told us that they accept that, but they've done it. Uh, we said, yes, th that, that, that will do it. We will withdraw our proposals, which is good for them because they don't like conflict at their AGMs and they don't like criticism of the management. And the stock rallied on the back of that last month 40%. So currently it is our largest holding by value, but it wasn't until they, they carried these these um, reforms out. Uh, let, let's just talk about reforms for a moment because it, it gives the whole basis for the Nippon Active Value Fund. In 2014, the Abe government decided that they needed to do something about the value of Japanese companies. Now, this wasn't a kind of disinterested uh, desire to help uh, foreign or even domestic investors. Uh, it was actually really motivated by self-interest. The, the largest shareholder in Japanese companies are two, the Bank of Japan and the uh, National Government Pension Fund. So the Japanese government, if you like, is a more than 12% owner of just about every stock in Japan. So getting that market to move, getting the, the, the market to perform and think more like Western markets was in the interest of the government itself. So they began a corporate governance reform program, pushing things like um, greater diversity on boards, more, more uh, independent directors on boards, uh, how uh, companies should listen to shareholders, how they should award themselves restricted stock, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, they followed uh, this program uh, to date. So they've continued to do this. And one of the most recent and most important developments in Japan has been the restructuring 
of the stock market itself in April, uh, which was a moment when the government was trying to get a lot of what an, until then first section companies um, onto either lower section companies or even out of the stock, stock exchange altogether. We're talking here about companies that can be sub $100 million of market cap being on the, on the first section of the stock exchange. So these companies were struggling to make Prime, which is the new name for the first section, with new uh, criteria to be a member. And that gave us another lever, if you like, to pull in our discussions with, with management about why don't you do things which will actually help you either make Prime or not make Prime because you're not going to make it and you're wasting a lot of time and effort trying to do it. So uh, it's been an interesting time, uh, but it's given us a really fair wind to engage with management. The, I mean, going back, when I was writing about Japan um, for the Far Eastern Economic Review back in the 90s, uh, I spoke to a lot of fund managers at that point who were foreign fund managers invested in Japan, and they complained a lot about the the culture you've mentioned, how shareholders were really just meant to be passive and, and quietly just sit there and listen politely to what management told them and not complain and not not get activist at all. Now, some of these were American fund managers who were running a global mandate and, and were used to being activist, and they ran into all sorts of brick walls in Japan when they tried to apply the same tactics there. Some of what you do as a fund manager involves that, it involves coming up against that culture. I know there's the pressure now from the government for reform, um, but but with with some of the positions you've taken, you've actually you're actually coming into the company and and obviously hoping that you get management that's cooperative. But presumably you also run into that same kind of brick wall scenario where management is uncooperative. Does that mean that you have to take the gloves off to an extent to to get things done? Yeah, <clears throat> Japan reminds me a little bit of uh, the governing body of most Cambridge colleges. When I was um, a bursar, we used to have a, a joke, all the bursars told about their, their colleagues behind their back, which was, how many Cambridge dons does it take to change a light bulb? Care to take a, a guess? <laughs> I've got no idea. <laughs> the answer is, change? <laughs> and that's a little bit like uh, corporate Japan. So, uh, yeah, there are, t there are two constants about corporate Japan. Uh, which fund managers will always tell you, which is Japan is always cheap and always has been. Uh, you're right, and it still is, but we're trying to make it a little less cheap and that nothing changes. Or if it does, it changes very, very slowly. But I think the example I gave you on Mitsubishi Belting is an example of how things are beginning to change because here is a management that actually came to us and said, look, we're going to do these things. Will you meet us halfway? And we said, yes. So we will make a lot of that in our... Uh, materials and in our discussions with other companies. Um, you're absolutely right that the initial reaction, whenever you tell uh, a company, we think you should go private, they'll say, no, we shouldn't, or we think you should do a, a buyback or pay us more in dividends. So then we, and that the answer is always no, initially. So then we, just, we start the discussion about what share ownership is. And, and we say, this isn't, we're not just another stakeholder. We are your owners. We own the company. 
And if you don't start listening to us, and in many cases we are the largest shareholder in, in the company, we will start to, as you put it, take the gloves off. Uh, and there are a number of ways that we can do that. Um, a, obviously, by increasing the amount of stock we own, making very public uh, comments about um, what we think they could do better, uh, while always trying to congratulate them on what we think they do well. Uh, but ultimately, um, all these companies are being circled by private equity in Japan. The only difference between private equity in Japan and, say, the States or the, or the UK is private equity will act as a principal in the Western markets. They will go after companies, as we've seen with um, a lot of the large companies going after uh, companies very publicly. In Japan, they prefer not to be seen as aggressors. This is a nod to the traditional uh, courtesy of the, of the Japanese market. And they believe that with the number of activist investors operating at the moment, of which Nippon Active Value Fund is only one, but there are uh, quite a number, both um, British, American, and a lot of Japanese. In fact, you might argue that the most effective of all the activist investors is Mr. Murakami, who operates his own family office uh, and um, uh, instills a great deal of fear in companies on whose share register he appears. So it's becoming much harder for Japanese companies just to say no. They have to engage, they have to talk to you, and after a while they begin to think, well, actually, this isn't necessarily the silliest thing we've ever heard. What is singularly absent from their mindset, and, and it is very interesting, is there is no greed. So normally when you're proposing to management, but why don't you pay yourself a lot of uh, restricted stock, you know, and you, you know, three to five times your, your, your annual stipend, um, and you can have it for nothing, and uh, then you've got an interest in your company, and you'll see the share price go up, and you'd think their eyes would light up at this point, but it tends not to. They, they give you a whole lot of stuff about we don't want to have too great a disparity between the highest and lowest paid in the company, and this isn't the Japanese way, etc. Um, it's certainly the thinking of the Japanese authorities, because they were the ones who came up with the idea of restrict, restricted stock programs. So it's changing, but, but greed is, is missing, and that you know, makes things slower than it might be. But not only can I point to things like Sakai Ovex, which is a small company that took itself private, you can see what's happening to Toshiba at the moment with the larger activists, uh, which will be broken up into its component parts. It's, it's a rather strange contrast that the very big companies probably need to be broken into component parts. The very small companies probably need to be consolidated into a bigger one. But that's one of the anomalies of the, of the Japanese market. But are things changing? Yes, they are. Um, slowly and uh, increasingly, the, the, we're going to accelerate this process. Uh, and that means uh, we need more firepower and we've found a way of, of uh, generating this. Um, would you like me to talk about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Very interested to hear about that. Okay, so two, two things really have happened recently uh, in the Nippon Active Value Fund uh, realm. One, as you pointed out, we managed to get to Japan. Not only did we meet our portfolio companies and a lot of the PE companies who are circling our portfolio companies and into whose arms we think uh, they will run if we cut up rough. So one of the things I think you'll see an acceleration of is PE activity and, and small companies going private. Um, but we also detected a sea change in the attitude of the banks to finance this activity. Traditionally, 
There are three large money center banks in Japan. They number most corporates amongst their clients. And the last thing on earth they would ever do would be help lend money or front an uh, aggressive approach to one of their companies from an activist investor, especially not a, a foreigner. However, there is a large secondary banking system in Japan, largely regional banks, and there are many uh, branches of big international banks uh, operating there, and their attitude is starting to change. Now, I think it's because of another very important uh, breakthrough that happened a couple of months ago when SBI, which is one of the Japanese activists, managed to effectively gain control of the Shinsei Bank, which is the old long-term credit bank, by making an offer for 48% of its equity. This, this is something new and has uh, created what uh, can only really be described as a gray area in the minds of financiers. Uh, if you try and take over 50% or control of a company it's clear, and, and the company doesn't want it, then it's clearly hostile. But there's a new uh, area which uh, the, the banks themselves are calling unsolicited, where they have expressed a willingness to help us go after some of our companies, providing they're not clients of their own. So we're now in discussions with several banks, and including the branch of one very large uh, European behemoth, who have expressed a willingness to do this for us. This is new because until now, we would have had a lot of trouble getting bank financing for any kind of um, aggression towards a Japanese company. The other thing that's changing is that Dalton Investments itself, um, I won't call it our sister company because um, it is run with completely separate management uh, and uh, you know, based in the States uh, and is a subscription business. But Jamie and Gifford are coming to the conclusion that they can see how well we're doing with Nippon Active Value Fund. And that first generation of owner managers or entrepreneurs who started businesses in Japan are either retiring or dying or there, you know, there is a change going on, uh, a generational change. And some of these companies that they've owned for a long time in Dalton aren't performing as well as they should do. And they think that a little bit of activism is called for in the Dalton portfolios. Well, Dalton com uh, controls about $2.3 billion of um, Japanese companies. So when you combine uh, Nippon Active Value Fund and its two SPVs, which come in total to about $200 million, with the uh, firepower of Dalton, you begin to get really a much more effective vehicle to go after companies aggressively. Um, talking further on that point, um, do you do you you mentioned the the, the private equity funds um, and and the banks? Do, does that make a difference then when you're looking at potential future targets um, in terms of you know who's already on the shareholder register or who who's already potentially positioned around a specific company? Is yes, that, it is does. That a big factor? Yeah, it, 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 a large factor. I mean, our, our selection criteria, apart from looking for what we think are good but not necessarily brilliant businesses, i.e. businesses that could be run better uh, and could have better capital allocation is that we also like businesses that don't have uh, a lot of uh, major shareholders, uh, particularly of the conservative type. Um, 
other activists, yeah, we're, we're quite happy to see other activists on, on the shareholder register. Um, uh, PE, they, they tend not to buy until they buy the whole company. So you don't, you don't necessarily see PE funds on the, on the register. But what we do do uh, when we start to look at a company is try and identify those PE firms who have a reputation in that industry or who, who may already be uh, looking. And we, you know, we do have a conversation uh, with all of them. So we know the guys at Bain, we know the guys at, at uh, Carlisle, we know the guys at uh, JIP, you know, and we say, with, we're, look, the, we're looking at these companies, any views, do you like them? And we get a sense normally for every stock that we buy, who is the most likely PE partner for that company in the future. Now, insider trading laws are very um, clear in Japan and very strict. So you can't combine with these guys. You can't give them inside information. And we, we never do. But it, it is helpful to, you know, to have a general dialogue with these sorts of companies to say, um, how's your business? Uh, what are the areas that you're particularly interested in? Uh, and uh, we know just about um, who would be interested in every single one of, of the companies that we buy. We also tend to like to buy companies which do not have third-party brokers following them, so there isn't much research out there. So they're, they're a, bit of a, a bit of a void in, the, in the, the, the knowledge universe, and that gives us a chance to, uh, to get to work on them. And I just wanted to ask you briefly, you mentioned earlier on when we were talking about the sterling yen hedge and how that's impact obviously impacted the lack of it has impacted the performance of of the trust is that is that something can can you can you explain why why that decision was taken and and is that something that you attempt to revisit going forward well it's 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 a good and obvious question the answer is not wishing to sound japanese but no <laughs> um, it's in the prospectus that the uh, the uh, foreign exchange will be unhedged. Uh, it was something we were asked by the exchange when we when we first listed. Uh, it was a decision made not to hedge um, the currency. Uh, you know, you you may be a better market timer than I am, but I have a horrible suspicion that if we did try and um, start hedging, we'd get it wrong and miss the day when the thing moved three or four percent and the reverse started happening. So. Um, Sooner or later, the Americans or someone will tell Mr. Kuroda, okay, you've had your fun. Um, you know, you, you've got to start tightening this up again. So, uh, and, and goodness me, thank goodness, uh, thank goodness we're, we're in sterling, because if we were in dollars, it would be even worse. Sterling not being the greatest performer itself over the, over the period. So we're not foreign exchange traders and we're not proposed to, to become one. And, and just briefly before we finish, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, to summarise what you feel this 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 particular investment trust offers UK investors, as opposed to, for example, you know, the more sort of what I would call uh, vanilla Japanese um, equity funds. Well, I, I think you put your finger on it. We are not market correlated, effectively. Um, yes, our, our our shares will go down because we can't engage with all of them all of the time. But the ones that we're talking to at any one time do not tend to perform uh, in line with the market because they're doing something specific to address uh, their shortcomings and the share price. So um, what I think you get with the Nippon Active Value Fund that you don't get with a, um, 
uh, a long only large cap fund is a you're fishing in the cheapest end of the pool uh, and b uh, we're trying to make things happen um, you could say that about any activist fund anywhere that that uh, returns shouldn't be terribly market correlated and you know we've outperformed the, the index um, markedly uh, what we need to do is get bigger because the bigger we are the the bigger the companies we can go for and also the more um, people we can deploy uh, you know to go after all of our companies all the time which we we just ha have a capacity constraint at the moment that doesn't allow us to do that but we're getting there and now that we're getting closer to Dalton it's becoming much easier uh, we now have dedicated analysts for Nippon Active Value Fund as well as Dalton working in in Tokyo so we're you know we're in the process of ramping up the pressure and uh, I think we're going to see some quite interesting developments over the next few months. So basically more more boots on the ground, so to speak, will mean more opportunities. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you the larger your fund, the more of a company you can own. The more of a company you can own, the easier it is to influence the management uh, and to tip them in the direction that you think they should be going, which might be reform, might be an MBO, uh, you know, might be uh, advice from an investment bank, which they don't tend to uh, to have on board. One of the things we've learned is that smaller companies are not advised by investment bankers; they're advised by their banks. So when when Ms., uh, when Sakaiovic took itself privately, it was Mizuho Bank, not Mizuho Securities, who gave them the advice and did everything. And the banks are very strange; they don't seem to want a piece of the private action. All they want to do is lend money for, for a, you know, a, a really low percentile return. So it's good because money is cheap if you can get it. It's bad because they're not receiving very good management or structural advice from their existing advisors. Well, that, that's, been, that's been fascinating, Paul. Thank you very much indeed for coming on the show today. I think it's been a, been a great um, insight into a very original approach to the Japanese equities market. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.